about a year and a half ago, I was uh, sitting in my office and I got a call from uh, one of my dear friends. Uh, she came to me and she called me with tears in her eyes. I could tell she had been crying. She said, hey, um, I have a favor I need to ask of you. And this is a hard favor. I said, sure. And she said, uh, my father has esophageal cancer. And he's been placed in palliative care inside his home in Combine, Texas. And um, uh, I stopped her there and I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll, is there anything I can do? And she said, um, yes. He's been asking me a lot of questions. He's been asking me a lot of questions about life, uh, the end of life, what happens, and he has one specific problem that he's really struggling with that I don't know to help him with. Would you come to our house and would you come talk to him? I said, absolutely. So I got in my car, drove to Combine, Texas, uh, walked into his living room, uh, we'll call him Gary, and uh, sat down and Gary, uh, he was belabored in his breathing. As you could tell, he was at the end of his days and it was, a, it was a beautiful privilege to be there with him at the end of those days, but sat down and uh, just talked to him. Talked to him about his lifetime, about his relationships, uh, his two beautiful daughters, his grandchildren, the friends that he gained. He was a, a ranch worker, so his hands were calloused. He had worked hard all of his life, and we talked about that. And then we talked about salvation. We talked about what happens after you die. And we talked about through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on your behalf, that uh, you can be with him in eternity and that there's no condemnation for those who have faith in Christ. We talked all about it. But the one thing he kept repeating back to me over and over again, through all this truth I was trying to deliver to him, was one phrase that just burned in my brain. He said, I, I just don't know if I did enough. I don't know if I did enough, like Jesus stuff. He kept saying, I don't know if I did enough. And, and I'd say, look, you know, I'd tell him the gospel again. and said, look, you know, let me tell you the truth. And he'd stop me and say, but I, don't, I just don't know if I did enough. And I'd talk to him again, and, and I'd grab his callous, rock-hard hands, and I'd say, he'd look me in the eyes and be like, Graham, did I do enough? I don't know what your experience with Christianity has been, but in my early church exposure, around 8th or ninth grade, I heard this gospel truth that Jesus gave me a new identity and I am as, as righteous as he is now if I have faith in him. And then I would go to church, I'd go to ministries and there'd be a pastor who'd ask me very specific questions about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. He'd say, are you sleeping around with people? Are you doing drugs? Are you drinking underage? Uh, uh, are you reading your Bible? Are you going to church? Are you doing the stuff? And I felt this disconnect, like this, like, whoa, wait, wait a second. I just received all this freedom in Christ. I have this new identity. And now these people keep telling me, don't do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And I found myself in a crazy tension. And I had to ask myself the question, is this it? Is this the Christian life? You say a prayer, you believe in him, and then for the next 75 years, you get your full focus planner out and you try to figure out if I'm doing enough good or enough bad. And at the end of my days, I'm like Gary and I sit there and say, did I do enough? Is that what Christianity is? That what Christianity is? I'm going to ask myself the question. Is that, is that what, what this is all about? The rest of this sermon series, we're going to be going through, again, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a lot like a mirror. 
Some of you are going to come to this mirror and there's going to be things that you see that you don't like so much. And there's going to be some things that you see that you do like. But the, the question through all of this is, is, is what, are, I mean, what are we doing? Because when you see the bad things, we see the, the good things, as we venture through all these hard things that he's going to ask us and call us to, we must hold fast to the fact that Jesus rests his grace upon us through it. And the, the hard and very awkward question that's here in this text that's screaming is that being a Christian is less about doing and more about being. That's an amen moment. I'm going to give you another shot. Okay, we're just going to try again. Uh, being a Christian is less about doing and more about being. Thank you so much. That's the new, yeah, it's great. That's the new lens we take on. It's, it's less about doing and more about being. And I, and I thought for the longest time, I stopped going to church because people kept saying, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I was so focused on what I was doing and what I wasn't doing that I totally missed the eyes of Christ. So my question to you is, is that how that works? Today, we're going to hear a really strong message from Jesus that's calling us to something so much bigger. But we have to start with his first two words, and that, are, that is, you are. You are. Today we're going to realize in this text that your identity is what reflects his divinity. Your identity is what reflects his divinity. If you would check, take a look at Matthew 5 for me, verse 13 through 15. I didn't just make this up. This is in the Bible. It's on the screen here. Matthew 5, 13 through 15. This is Jesus speaking right after the Beatitudes. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do the people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that, you may see, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, let's jump through this text, okay? You are. Stop there. That's where we're going to stop. Some of you guys are like, I got a reservation at the tavern in an hour and this sermon's going to take forever. Give me a second, okay? You are. The text obviously emphasizes this phrase. It's, in a, it's in a, a strong phrase two times in the text. You are. Huge statement. You are. Now, this is a rather controversial statement today, okay? Because this is somebody outside of you telling you who you are. Someone's defining who you are that's outside of you. In a postmodern culture, that's heresy to the world, okay? Because I, it's who I decide I am. I get to decide my own fate, my own destiny. I control most of the circumstances in my life. And so I get to decide what I get to do and who I am. That's a massive statement for someone to just come in and say, this is who you are. Who, this is who you are. It's a present active verb. It's, he's saying, again, this is who you are. Now, Jesus gets to speak authority over who you are. He's saying that if you are in me, if your identity is coded in who I am, if you have placed your faith in me, then, then this is who you are. You are a son. You're a daughter of God, the most high king of the universe. And here's why so much confusion lies in this 
transforming of your identity. Typically we say, okay, you prayed a prayer and you're over here and Jesus is over there and that's kind of what you want to look like. You want to get over there and you say, you just Miley Cyrus it. You think it's the climb. I'm going to get there and I'm going to go and I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to climb and I'm going to claw my way all the way to being like Jesus. I prayed the prayer. Okay, now the rest of my life. Here we go. Oh, that's hard. Boy, this is difficult. And you just keep going. And that's not how it works. When you receive Christ, boom, you are his righteousness. You have his perfection. That's who you are. Some of you think, well, I don't feel very different and I still have an addiction to kicking puppies. Like I'm like really struggling with that. What do I do? No. Yes, you might still struggle, but that's who you are. Jesus is calling you to a new identity that you currently possess. It's a strange, it's a strange thing about Christianity that you're already in him. Perfect, spotless son or daughter of God but you're not quite there yet. I know that sounds weird, but, but it is a paradox and it is a truth of scripture that you are already in him, which means that you possess all the things that Christ possessed. All of his perfection is now yours, period, end of story. And so Jesus is calling you to who you are. It's not a climb, it's not a, it's not a, it is a struggle, but it's not a climb to get to where he is. It's an identity shaping statement. Through him, I am enough. He did all the work. He did all the work. And now all of his perfection is my perfection. And I live like him, not to earn something I already have, but to live into the reality that I currently possess. Does that make sense? You follow me? Okay, I'm going to keep going because I didn't seem like you were understanding. We're going to keep going. Okay. He says you're already righteous. He calls you completely righteous. Even after, you did, after what you did last night. Yep. Totally. Spotless and blameless. Paid for. What you did last year? Paid for. Old news. Dead. Gone. This is the best news ever. Right? I mean, it's the best news ever. Because all your past, present, and future sin are paid for, and your reality is secure. Your, I'm sorry, your identity is secure in Him. That's who you are. He carefully chooses a present active verb to say, look at me. I'm telling you who you are. I don't care how you feel about yourself. This is who you are to me, and you're lovely. Claire and I are really careful about how we speak to our sons when it comes to who they are. Obviously, with children, they're very moldable, right? And when you say some, something to a child about who they are, it matters because communicated value to somebody matters. If you have someone in your life that's communicating value, that's a very important thing. That's where boundaries come to play, or that's when receiving those good, that good things come to play. For Mac, we have a small video of what, we have a little phrase. We say like, this is what a McMillan is, or this is, what, this is who you are, Mac. And this is Mac Daddy, uh, his little phrase that we say in the morning. Check this out. When your father looks at you in the eyes, that's cute, I know. But when, when, you, when your father looks at you in the eyes and says, you're strong, you're handsome, I added that one. You fear God and no one else. You love others 
and you love yourself. And today we're going to rejoice because today's a gift. Why is it easier for a child than it is for you? It's harder for you. Why? Because somebody has hurt your love receptors. As you've gotten older, somebody's broken the synapses between communicated value that you're not able to receive anymore. Someone looks at you and, and says something that's hurtful and hurts a little bit of what you're able to receive in terms of your communicated value. And that changes everything. Because now you're operating out of a different identity. Uh, maybe something that somebody abused. Or something that somebody didn't treat with the care that it deserves to say, you're lovely. You're lovely. I mean, why is it? Why is it that little girls who have fathers who get on one knee and look in the eyes and say, look at me, you're lovely. Not because of what you did. Not because of how good of a teacher you are, not because of how pretty you are, no accomplishments you did. You're lovely. You're lovely. No matter what any boy comes to her now and says, she's going to base her identity off what her daddy said, not what some fool said to her. She's going to go back and some guy will say, you're, you're ugly. And she'll be like, me? That's not what my daddy told me for 18 years. So you must be wrong. Look, the world is going to tell you what you are over and over and over again. And there's a difference between communicated value and created value. Which one's deeper? Created value. There's a reason why young men who have mothers who look in the eyes and say, look, you're capable I believe in you. You're able to do so much. You're so capable. I believe in you. There's a reason why those men grow up to have thriving marriages and secure attachment when they're older. Because now they're basing it off an identity statement that someone delivered to them. But now the creator of the universe comes into the play and says, this is who you are, Casey. This is who you are. Doesn't he get to say... And isn't that our identity that we get to live out of? Doesn't that change everything? That's a yes. That's where you say yes. Yes, that changes everything. That changes everything. There's a girl that I met. There's like a barista at a coffee shop we, we go to as a staff often. And uh, I got this line from Wayne. It's a total Wayne thing. Uh, but I go to this coffee shop. Uh, say her name's Chelsea. And uh, I say, hey, Chelsea, how's it going? I meet her for the first time. Good. It's like, okay, what, what do you do this weekend? It's like, oh, I have a, you know, my boyfriend and I are going out. It's like, oh, cool. What do you guys to do? That's fun, sweet. And uh, I go, how's your relationship going? Because, I don't know, pastors ask deep questions. I don't know, like intrusive, <laughs> oh, personal. Uh, and she goes, it's okay. And I go, oh, man, just okay? And she goes, yeah. I go, um, I knew she was a believer. I said, you know, uh, you know what God what you are? Do you know what you are? She goes, what? I go, you're a daughter of the king. Yeah. And she said, what? I go, you're a daughter of the king. Do you know what people call daughters of kings? What do you call a daughter of a king? Princess. You're a princess. And I said, is he a prince? And we ended the conversation awkwardly, and I got my coffee. <laughs> and then, uh, I kid you not, a month later, a month later, I kid you not, 
walked up to the coffee shop and said, hey, how's it going? Go, great. How's your boyfriend? She goes, oh, we broke up. I go, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. She goes, no, it's okay. He didn't treat me like a princess. Nice. Total Wayne line. Seriously, give him a good But she's operating out of her identity. If you're pining for some sort of water that you're trying to get satisfied with, then it's probably because you're not listening to what he wants to give you and what he says you're made for, which is you're made you're made for love. I mean, you just are. You're just made to be loved and to love others and to love yourself and to love him. That's operating out of identity. You are. Okay, so Graham, I get it. Some of you guys are like, okay, I get it. But what about sin? Like, how do we do that, navigate that? What do we do about the sin thing? I mean, I can't kick this thing or, man, my kid, I really want him to clean his room. Like, what do I do? How can we do that? Well, it's all about perspective. You think about it. Jesus is giving you perspective based on identity to move forward. Follow me here. Any pilot ever in any, in any aviation industry will tell you that the best way to fly is to not focus on the obstacles. If you're flying a, a plane and go, don't hit the mountain, don't hit the mountain, don't hit the mountain, don't hit the mountain, you're probably going to hit the mountain. And that's because your brain can't accept negative reality, honestly, very well. Don't think about elephants. You lost. I won. <laughs> But your brain can't accept positively. That's why when you go to a kid, you don't say, don't eat on the couch. You say, come, we, come eat with us on the dinner table. Don't, don't do that. No, and actually, just, let's, go, let's just eat at the dinner table. When your life's full of don'ts, you're probably going to navigate more towards them than you think. But Jesus is putting your purview way up and saying, this is what you're made for. You're precious and lovely and amazing. You are lovely. And this is what I'm calling you towards. So, would we step into and be so bold to step into the identity that Christ has shaped for us, that he bought for us, and say, man, this is how we're going to live. Now we're going to live out of identity. Because what if? Let's say you're in this room and you just kind of wandered in. You're like, I'm going to go to an elementary school on a Sunday morning for some reason. <laughs> what if there is a creator? And what if he did create you? Wouldn't he have a say in what you are? He would. He would. And that's how he wants us to navigate life, out of the identity that he purchased for us. When we sell ourselves short of what God, who God says we are, we miss God's intended purpose for our life. Um, this is beautiful. It says, and, and we, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You're already in glory. One degree of glory to another. So who does he say you are? Application time. Let's keep going. You are <laughs> the salt of the earth. You are salt of the earth. But if, if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Strong statement. This is an assumption, okay? So he's basing this off of, you know, when you read the Bible, it doesn't break down like it does in your Bible there's just one page, right? And so he goes from verse 11 straight to verse 13, and he talks about persecution. People who, blessed are you when people revile you, right? Uh, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my count. He's calling us to be very happy about it, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the types of people who are living in their true identity. So much so that they're willing to lay their lives down for the sake of the advancement of Christ. That's a, that's a real strong identity purpose living in, right? Now, 
that why is he used salt here? What, what, what about the salt thing? Well, it's a distinction. He's, he's making kind of a, 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 just kind of an absurd, really, distinction, saying, is salt salt? Yes? Well, well, salt is supposed to be salty. That's what salt is. And he's making this very cool distinction to say, if you become like everybody else and your identity rests in me, then you're losing it. Right? Losing sight of who you are. To, to, to compromise and find other things besides righteousness to thirst for is you living outside your identity and that's where the tension's going to come. And that's you not being salt. You're not salt. You're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if you're not living in your identity. Well, well how, I mean, how do we live in our identity? How do we be salt? Here it's really important before we get into like the real salty part, uh, is to, to not just teach about the importance uh, of the social involvement here, but he is a, he's making an assumption that if you're in him, then you're, you're in the world, but not of the world, right? That you're living amongst people, but you are salty in this world. There's lots of different ways you can look at this and angles you could take it. Take it. Uh, one of the big ways is, uh, is salt is made for preservation, right? When Claire and I got married, someone gave us like 35 pounds of raw meat. I have no idea who that person is, and I scorn them to this day. I don't know why. Because we, uh, we took the meat, put it in our freezer, and went on our honeymoon. And at, during our honeymoon, the, I forgot that you have to set up an electricity bill to your house, and so this meat just sat in the freezer and became rancid. Well, they didn't have refrigerators in Jesus' day. And so what they did was they preserved things with salt. I wish I had a bag of salt when I did that, right? You rub things in salt to preserve it. He's quite literally saying, if you're living your identity in Christ, you're going to help stop the moral decay of what's going on in Fort Worth, Texas. Crazy, right? He's saying those who are salty in my identity are going to preserve this society. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to look more like me over time if you are remaining who you are to be what the world honestly cannot can become. Salt can uh, lose its integrity, right? It can be diluted. Just like if you're in a, a soup, right? If you put salt in a soup, tasty soup or whatever. But if you just throw a bunch of water in it, it doesn't taste very salty anymore. If you water something down, it loses its property, its taste. And so... Uh, Jesus is reminding his disciples, be who you are, wherever you are, no matter what. That's John Stott. Practice the greater righteousness I'm showing you in this sermon here. Be agents of reconciliation, ready to forgive and tear down the walls that divide people. Live lives of sexual integrity. Be honest in all that you say and do. Do good to those who threaten you. Treat others as you would have them treat you. See, when you align yourself with Christ in that identity, you demonstrate your allegiance to him and you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. The earth is tasteless. But the influence of Christians on, the, on society depends on their being distinct and not identical to everybody else out here. And that's an identity statement. Are you follow me? Okay, great. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I love this quote, uh, says, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. It's, it's unnatural for salt to not be salty. And it's un, unnatural for you to be in Christ and not be distinct from the rest of the world. 
What else does he say that you are? He says that you are light. You are light. Um, okay, so he gives a couple of two illustrations here. He says, you're the light of the world, uh, which is implying that the world is in darkness. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, which is the, the kind of gives, us, gives the first illustration. A city that's on top of a hill, you can't put a gate around it, right, and, and hide it. It's, you're going to know it's there. It's like trying to hide the Cowboy Stadium or Dickies Arena. You can't put a wall around it and hide it. It's, it's just going to be there. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so he gives a cool dichotomy. The world is dark. We are the light of Christ, but it's our light that shines through the world. You've heard the classic illustration. If you spend any time in vacation Bible school, if you haven't heard this, you just write this down. It's great. The moon, right? Does the moon shine on its own? No. You guys in the front row are killing it. I want an answer from the back row. Gordy... <laughs> Does the moon shine on its own? Okay, great. Thank you so much. No, it reflects this, the light of the sun. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh, the sun is what the moon's reflecting. And so we, just like the moon, reflect the light of the sun. Now, this is where people get kind of weary or leery of like, okay, I don't want any self-glory. And Jesus says, like, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. But he also says, I want you to shine. And there's a weird tension there, right? Of like, wait, I'm supposed to shine, but I'm also supposed to do stuff in secret. And you know, I mean, you would, you would certainly know if you're trying to garner self-interest, but it's important for you to shine, to show people what the light of Christ really looks like. And it depends on who you're pointing them to. If you say, oh man, it wasn't me. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, like you want the applause, you want the praise. Versus when, when you do something in secret, you know when it's supposed to be in secret. That's part of the identity that Christ gave you. He knows how it helps you delineate between the two through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does light look like? What does shining bright look like? It looks like what the Beatitudes said. If you didn't listen to uh, Wayne's sermon, go back last week. He did a phenomenal job. It looks like being merciful, mourning over your sin, being hungry for the righteousness or good, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker. But I love even more than the application stuff. Like, okay, go shine. I love it. In your circle of influence, shine. What I love more, most about this is what he's calling you to be. You're a city built for prominence. Like, you're built to be on a hill. You're made to be visible. You realize that? You're supposed to be seen. That's how this works. You're supposed to be seen. And you uh, introverts out there are like, oh my gosh, you Enneagram 7s are like, yes, please. I know I'm made to be seen. No, so, some of you guys are like, okay, you know, some, some of you are thinking, man, I'm introverted. I don't, I don't want to be seen. Look, you've got a circle of influence. And whatever your circle of influence is, you're made to shine. He gave you that as a gift to, sh to shine in that dark space, especially if you work at Lockheed. Just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, I'm just making fun of Matthew. Uh, you, you've got to shine wherever you're at. And you've got an influence. And that platform that you've been given in that influence matters. The point of all this is, it would be so silly for you to be something that you're not. You are light. You are salt. So would you share yourself? Would you share yourself? I know it sounds weird, doesn't it? No, would you share yourself? Would you share who you are in Christ? Because we all need it. We all need it. Uh, what's funny, uh, 
as you do this, as you step out more and live in the public sphere or you shine brightly in your circle of influence, uh, you're going to see that people are going to start to garner that it's not actually you, but it's Christ in you. That it's He's the one who's giving you a new identity. He's the one who loved you first. And so He's the one that's actually shining. And the world needs this. I could do a whole sermon on this, right? Fort Worth needs you to shine. Fort Worth needs you to be salty. As we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, as we welcome those who are sick in prison, Fort Worth needs you to shine.